Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Man, it's good uh, to be here with everyone. Um, We're going to be continuing in the book of Genesis. We've been in Genesis for a little bit. And we're, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we've been looking at like a reality TV, drama filled, Dr. Phil, Maury Povich sort of situation with the, the family of Abraham. And uh, it's wacky. And we uh, particularly have been looking at a fella named uh, Jacob in Abraham's line. And I, as I was uh, preparing for the message, I came across an illustration that I think um, describes well. Um, what we're going to be looking at today. It said, late one summer evening in Broken Bow, Nebraska, a weary truck driver pulled his rig into an all-night truck stop. The waitress had just served him when three tough-looking leather-jacketed members of a biker gang decided to give him a hard time. Not only did they verbally abuse him, one grabbed the hamburger off his plate, another took a handful of his fries, and the third picked up his coffee and began to drink it. How would you respond? Well, this trucker did not respond as one might expect. Instead, he calmly rose, picked up his check, walked to the front of the room, put the check and the money on the cash register, and went out the door. And the waitress put the money in the till and stood watching out the door as the big truck drove away into the night. And when the waitress got back, one of the bikers said to her, well, he's not much of a man, is he? Didn't stand up for himself. The waitress said, I don't know if he's much of a man, but I tell you this, he's, he's not much of a truck driver. Because on his way out, he plowed over three motorcycles out, <laughs> out in the, the parking lot. Right? These guys knew what it means to have your chickens come home to roost. To get the benefits of what you've sown. To reap what you have some. Reaping what you sow is what we'll see in, the, in our text today, in the life of this guy, Jacob. Jacob has done a pretty good bit of reaping and sowing, as we've seen. Deception, uh, manipulation, uh, all, all of these things um, Jacob has done. So we'll pick up at Genesis 29. I'm going to go and flip there to your Bibles, and we'll go through verse 30. And Bill Harris one of our newest uh, covenant members, and his epic beard are going to come and read the passage for us today. Hey, good morning. Good morning. All right, if everybody's there, we'll start. Uh, chapter 29, verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go. 
pasture them. But they said, we cannot until the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's, her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is, this done, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you, serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Billa, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Thanks, Bill. I told you this is the uh, this is the Dr. Phil version of uh, of a family man. It's a uh, again we're going to talk about reaping what you have sown today. Um, you this text is a weird one, man. Uh, like like a lot of these dealing with things in a culture that's um, not ours, and uh, we got to remember that the everything that the Bible records does not represent what the Bible condones. Right, so just because this is what's going on with these folks doesn't mean that this is how God would have them uh, live their lives. And we see things like polygamy and cheating and deceitfulness, and and all of this describes what's being done here. And they describe Jacob, man, to a T. We've seen Jacob do this literally since he came out of the womb, have we not? This is Jacob. This is how we see this guy living his life, and so. We could get into lots of things uh, in, in that passage this week. I feel like some of them we've gotten into before. Um, 
But there's only one thing that I want us, one single thing that I want us to get out of this passage today, and that is that we reap what we sow. So there won't be like a deep dive uh, calling more out of the text than that. Just, just one thing, but it's a big thing. It's a, it's a big thing. Um, so this passage is about Jacob reaping what he's sown in his dealings with other people. Let's kind of let's recap and see about Jacob's. Did we knew it was coming. Remember, because when he was born, Esau was born ahead of him, and Jacob was born grabbing the heel of Esau. Right? That's how Jacob got his name. He's one who supplants. He's a, he's a deceiver. And then we saw that uh, Jacob tricked Esau into giving away his birthright. We saw that Jacob deceived his elderly and blind father to then steal the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And then we saw Jacob even, even pulling the name of God into the scenario, blaming it part of it on God. And now, in our text, we see Jacob caught in a web of this guy, Laban, who's just as deceitful as Jacob is, who is manipulating things just as much as Jacob is, and we'll see in a way that is very similar to how Jacob did. So now the deceiver is being deceived. The manipulator is being manipulated. Jacob is uh, deceived by, uh, Jacob's a guy who broke the law of the firstborn, remember that? Getting the birthright, stealing the blessing. Here's a guy breaking another version of the birthright, right? We can't, we're not supposed to give the younger daughter before the older. So he, he's doing a very similar thing. And Jacob is deceived by Laban and he has to live in exile from his people for 14 years without the love of Rachel. So Jacob is truly reaping um, what he's sown. Now, because we live in uh, 2020, because we live in Asheville, because we live in the time and the place that we do, we need to remember that in our culture, we're kind of enamored with things that, are, that sound mystical or sound Eastern or exotic. And really, we're enamored or infatuated with anything that is, is different than the either loosely held or strictly held Christian upbringing that we might have had. We like to gravitate toward those things. And one of those things that's attractive is this mystical idea of karma. And the reason I want to bring that up is because we may confuse the idea of karma with reaping and sowing, right? So when I talk about reaping and sowing, I'm not talking about karma. In fact, reaping what you sow is not karma, and you should be very glad. You should be very glad that it's not karma. So I, because it's important where we are and, and who we are, I want us to take a look at that, uh, look ob objectively sort of at the two concepts. Uh, this will be the teaching moment uh, or portion of the sermon to, to see the, uh, and have us be acquainted with karma and reaping and sowing just to understand what they are and understand what the Bible's teaching here and what the Bible is not teaching here. So let's take a look at some of the major differences between sowing and reaping versus karma. What is, what is karma? Well, karma is uh, the idea that um, what a person reaps in this life, good or bad, is the result of actions that they did in a previous life, right? That's 
karma. In other words, a person experiences literally hundreds or maybe thousands of births in order to get another chance to pay off the bad thing that they did, bad things that they did in a previous life. So that any suffering right now in the current existence would be the result of bad deeds that they did before. That's why, according to karma, people are born to work off their bad karma. Uh, The Dalai Lama, uh, one of the most recognizable spokespersons for Buddhism, kind of summed it up this way. He says, frankly speaking, my own happiness is mainly due to my own good karma. It is a fundamental Buddhist belief that my own suffering is due to my mistakes. So let's ask, in our text today, are we seeing Jacob have karma come back to bite him? No, we are not. Because the Bible says we only have one life. Right? It's like the old uh, soap opera that my babysitter watched growing up. You only have one life to live. You guys remember this? No. Just me? Nobody remembers that. Nobody. One life to live was a soap opera. You, thank you, Lisa. Amen, Lisa. So the Bible teaches that we only have one life to live. Hebrews 9, 27 is a famous passage that clearly teaches that. It says that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. All right, so the Bible does not teach karma, so karma can't be what's happening here with Jacob. And actually, I just want to pause and let you know that karma um, can't be true because it's got some logical problems. Check this out. If every birth you have is supposed to be a rebirth to pay off the karma from your bad debt, why would you be born the first time? You didn't have any bad debt to pay off. You didn't exist. Why would you be born? So there's some logical problems with karma. Uh, further, um, th- this, uh, the same idea that goes with karma is the idea of reincarnation or, or transmigration in Buddhism. It would teach that you ultimately don't exist as an individual. A lot of people don't realize that those systems teach that, but it, ultimately you don't exist. So if you don't exist, who's creating the bad karma? Who's being born? Right? So there's some problems. We should be glad uh, not only that karma is not uh, true, but it's, it's fatally, fatally flawed. Um, what we reap and what we sow in this life, we will reap and we will sow in a continuation of this life, either while we are here on this earth or in eternity, either in God's presence or in everlasting um, quarantine from God's presence in that life. The afterlife is just a continuation of this life we have right here, right now. What we see Jacob experiencing is a reflection of what he sowed just a few chapters before. This is not karma. This is sowing and reaping. And similarly, in our lives as human beings, a lot of the things that we reap in our lives, the consequences of sowing and reaping. It's true. So what is sowing and reaping then? What does the Bible say about sowing and reaping? You're just going to see some uh, verses come up on the screen. I'll just run through them really quickly so we can get an idea. Job 4, 8 says, As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble, reap it. Psalm 126 tells us, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. 
2 Corinthians 9 says that the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Proverbs 11, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Proverbs 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Hosea 10 says, sow righteousness for yourselves and reap unfailing love. And finally, Galatians 6, 8 and 9 say, the one who sows to to please his sinful nature, here's Jacob, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So here we see several senses of the Bible's use of this idea of reaping what you sow. Some of them talk about the direct consequences of our choices. So so for example would be if you raise a child and you sow into them a lack of discipline, you're going to reap a teenager or an adult that does not live with discipline and they're going to suffer the consequences and you're going to suffer the consequences as a parent because of that. Um, so harshness into the, the people around you. If you treat people harshly, guess what? People are not going to want to be around you. You're going to reap what you have sown in your relationships with other people. Some of these references talk about real rewards in heaven based on what you sow now. And some are like what we see with Jacob this morning. What do we see with Jacob? Why is this event with Laban? This deception of Jacob, this manipulation of Jacob, why is it taking place in his life? Well, here's what I can derive kind of from the surrounding accounts, the things that we've read about Jacob before and after this. Let me me show you what I think is happening here by asking you a question. Do you know that sometimes we don't realize how evil a thing is that we've done until that thing is done to us? You realize that? Is is that true? It's when those same chickens come to roost at our own doorstep that the deceiver feels the weight of being deceived. The manipulator feels the weight of actually being the manipulated person. The, The manipulator and the deceiver see the evil of their ways because now they've been on the back end. They've been on the receiving end of those things. And this is what I see God doing in the life of Jacob. This is what I see happening here. And hopefully, like Jacob, we, by God's grace, when we are on the receiving end of the evil things that we've done, can see them for what they are. And by God's grace, own them and repent of them and receive forgiveness. Um, you know, it's God's glory when we see our evil ways and repent, and it's to our good, right? And that brings us to the next thing I want us to understand through this life of Jacob. Not only do we reap what we sow, but that God sows even while we reap. God is sowing even while we reap. Here's what I mean. Even when we're bearing the brunt of what we've done, when God is allowing somebody to do to us what we have done to other people so that the scales may be removed from our eyes and we can see the evil for what it is, even while we're bearing those consequences, God still wants to sow goodness 
and mercy into our lives. In fact, it is God's goodness and mercy to allow us to see the evil things that we've done for what they are. That's God's grace to us. And though the text doesn't explicitly say it, again, I think the surrounding narratives show us that this is exactly what God is doing. God is reshaping this man, Jacob, the deceiver, the manipulator. God is confronting him with someone that's just like himself, Laban. Right, think, let's think about what Laban has done. Laban lied to Jacob. First of all, Jacob went to, to Laban, and Laban's like, hey, what can I give you? Jacob's like, I got a great idea. <laughs> I'm looking for a wife right now, you know? And when Jacob uh, asks for Rachel and uh, Laban responds, Laban says, he doesn't say, yeah, I'll give her to you. What does he say? Man, it's better that I give her to you than any other, any other dude out there. Come stay with me. That's not any kind of promise whatsoever. He didn't, did he actually say, yes, I'll give you her? No. This is non-committal, manipulative language from Laban. He's like drawing Jacob in to a trap. And then Laban, um, it says that, oh, we're going to have a great feast. That word feast in your Bible in the original language means a drinking party. That's what it was. It was a drinking party. Laban setting the trap. And it says they had a party and then at when it was dark. So apparently the party started in the day, this drinking party, and ended in the night when it was everybody was drunk, including Jacob, and it was dark. Then Laban sends in the other daughter. You're like, well, how, how could Jacob not know it was her? Well, he was wasted. It was dark. Right? So, so then Laban deceives Jacob. And he had deceived him, saying, you know, it's not right. And I think God put this little thing in here, again, to make Jacob's wheels start turning when Laban says, you know, it, it's, it wouldn't be right for us to put the younger before the firstborn. You know? I think God's like, Jacob, you, you hear that? You hear that, Jacob? Isn't that exactly what you've done? So here has, is what has gone on, gone on with Jacob and um, in his life, he's seeing a net that he's woven of deceit and manipulation being woven for him. The spider's web is now hosted by a different spider, right? And Jacob is uh, the feast, all right? So then Jacob has to live in exile from his own homeland uh, and work for, again, for 14 years without wages for the love of Rachel. And all of these experiences are gonna turn this deceitful, he's a wicked guy, Jacob, that we first ran into in Genesis chapter 25. Do you know, what, you know what's ultimately going to happen to Jacob? Bible scholars, anybody, who knows? Somebody said it. His name's going to be changed to Israel, isn't it? Jacob, which means supplanter, deceiver, is going to have his name changed to Israel, which means one who contends right? Jacob, this guy, is going to become a great nation. And this, this reshaping will take a dramatic turn when we pick up, we're actually going to pick up with Jacob, not again until the spring. You'll, we'll talk about that. But um, God tells Jacob this. We see when we pick up, Jacob is literally going to wrestle with God. I think God's already beginning to wrestle with Jacob, but now literally he's going to wrestle with God. And God says this, your name will no longer be Jacob. 
or deceiver. Your name will be Israel, one who contends, because you have struggled with God and humans, has he not? We've seen it. And you have overcome. Jacob will learn his lesson. Jacob will learn his lesson. And he will precisely learn his lesson because God has struggled with Jacob. Because God has allowed Jacob to struggle with other human beings. God has confronted Jacob with Jacob, right? Jacob will learn his lesson. And that prepares Jacob to be on the right side of God's plan then. So we've got to pause then and realize that when we bear the consequences of our actions, reaping and sowing, God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't. Even in being gracious to you and allowing to bear the brunt of the, the things that you've sown, he wants to use that brunt, that weight, to reshape you, to mold you for his glory and for your good. Um, he wants to, when we, you know, we may be tempted when things get difficult, when our chickens come home to roost, we start to feel the weight of life, we may feel um, like a tendency or a first sort of knee-jerk reaction to push God away, right? When things get, when we are allowed to have our, uh, the sowing of what we've reaped. We may want to push God away. God, why are you allowing this to happen? But think about it, think about it. <laughs> when, if we were to push God away, we're only left with ourselves. And we're the ones who sowed that garbage to begin with, Right? <laughs> Don't push God away when, you're, when he allows you to reap what you've sown. Say, God, thank you. Okay, okay, I see. I see that what I've done is evil. Lord, please forgive me. I've hurt so many people. I have offended you, God. Help me not to waste this lesson. I want to learn from what I've sowed. God, help me. Uh, to see those things. And God wants to use those things to deliver us from us and reshape us for our good and ultimately for his glory. Don't miss that, that, that phrase, for our good and his glory. Do you realize that our good and his glory always go together? That's an incredible truth. God's glory. We're talking about well, Christians should be all about God's glory, but also, yes, we should. But realize his glory and our good always go together. So what that means is if we are like Jacob and we are manipulating and we are cunning and we are deceiving because we think we're after our own good, if we're following our way instead of God's way, not only are we not working for his glory, but we're working against our own best interest. We think we've got this, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this thing out. I'm going I'm to manipulate things to what I think is good for me. Obviously, that's not how God works. And we work in ways, when, when we work in ways that God does not work, we are not only not glorifying God, but we're stamping ourselves down whether we realize it or not. We become our own greatest enemies. And I, I hope, I pray that like Jacob, we'll see, we can wise up, man, and trust God's way. Trust God's way. And lastly, the thing I want us to see today is not only do we reap what we sow, not only does God sow while we're reaping, he doesn't want to stop there. He also wants to redeem us, and that takes place when we reap what Jesus has sowed. 
We get to reap what Jesus sowed. Don't let that fly over your head. Catch that. We get to reap what Jesus has sowed. Um, We need to remember that Jesus, whose death on the cross (laughs) offers to allow us to reap what he sowed. And what we reap is life eternal with creator God, a fresh start, a new start, healing, wholeness that springs up into eternal life. That's what Jesus offers to allow us to reap. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tell us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Man, my works are are wicked on my best day. They're not perfect. Even when I do great things, a lot of times my motive is wrong. You know what I mean? Um, Now, being saved by grace and not works doesn't only mean that we can't boast. It also means that there's real hope for us. It means that there's legit hope for us. Um, Remember I told you uh, that we would return to the idea that, that... Uh, reincarnation and karma aren't true, and you should be glad. Here's why. If the law of karma is were true, you know, we would all feel the burden to kind of right our wrongs. That's not necessarily a bad impulse. It's not bad to want to correct the bad things that you've done. That's a good thing. That's a, that's a, um, I believe that the Lord has placed that desire in our hearts to, um, make restitution for the things that we've done. That, that's not a bad thing. Let me show you why it's incomplete, though, in the idea of karma and why you should be glad it's not true. Those of you who were part of Reach Life about three years ago may remember this analogy that I gave about karma. Did anybody watch the old TV show back in the early 2000s? My name is Earl. Uh, yeah, somebody did. <laughs> okay. So um, Earl, uh, this guy named Earl Hickey, um, he was a guy who had won the lottery, and he had in his life he had made one bad choice after another, just bad choice, bad choice, bad choice. Anybody may be able to relate. And after he found out he won the lottery, he immediately was hit by a car, found himself in the hospital. He's like, "Whoa, this is some this is like karma coming coming back to hit me here." So he decides to make a karma list, all the bad things he's he's done in his life, and he makes a list of like three hundred things. He's like, okay, I'm going to, and his list were, were things like, I stole $10 from a guy at the market. I never gave my mom a Mother's Day card. I failed to pay taxes. I picked on Kenny Jones in elementary school, right? I shot Gwen Waters with a BB gun, things like that. He, three list of 300 things, and he was going to go through and do good things that could allow him to cross off those bad things that he did. But check this out. Regardless of how many good things you do, you can't cross out the bad things that you've done. A lot of people don't realize that that with karma. They think that, okay, if I do good things that can erase my bad things, then I'll be okay. Check this out. If you were standing before a judge, let's say that you, in a courtroom, let's say you had committed murder. And you're standing before the judge, and uh, he say, he reads your, you know, like what you're being charged with and, and whatever, um, sentenced for. And you say, Judge, listen, I know I did those things. I own it. I, I, know, I know I committed murder. But, but listen, Judge, now 
Man, I, 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 I volunteer at the homeless shelter. I work at the hospital. I'm, I'm nice to old people and people with disabilities. I'm a kind person. You know what the judge is going to say? It's great you're doing those things. You should do those things. You still committed murder. Right? Like a judge can't say, oh, you're, oh, you're doing great things now. I'm gonna, you know what? That murder thing? Good. We're good. Doing good things doesn't erase bad things. Not in a just court. That's not how it works. Um, now, you may be in here today and say, well, I've never committed murder. Jesus would disagree. Matthew chapter 5, you guys remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her and his heart. This is Jesus' words, it's not, not my words. So have, have you ever been unjustly angry at someone? Have you ever insulted someone? Have you ever called someone a fool? Have you ever looked at someone with lustful intent? Anybody check all the boxes besides me? We all, we all have, if we're being honest, right? And, and kindly, we could never work off those sins because good things don't work off bad things. Not, not before a righteous judge. So be glad that karma is not true. Be glad because there would be no hope for us. Lead singer Bono of U2 explains what drew him to Jesus particularly in light of karma, uh, and, and it's opposite of grace. He says this, he says, I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be finally my judge. I'm holding out for grace, he says. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The point of the death of Christ, Bono says, is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that we put what we put out did not come back to us. That our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. Bono nailed it. We want grace, not karma. We want grace, not karma. Um, Only Jesus can be the solution to our sin problem. Only Jesus can be the solution to having us reap what we sow. Only Jesus offers to let us reap what he has sown. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. What do I mean by what Jesus sowed? John chapter 12. What did Jesus sow? 23 to 28, John chapter 12 says this. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What did Jesus sow? He sowed himself. Literally, in the ground, Jesus sowed his own body. And when we embrace that payment that he's made for our sins, we are the fruit. We are the fruit. Righteousness in our lives is the fruit. This is how we can reap what we did not sow. We did not sow righteousness. This is how we can avoid reaping what we did so, not getting what we deserve. The gospel is way better than karma could ever be. Can I tell you that? Way better. Um, precisely because karma is false and the gospel is true. Check this out. The sins in your life, did you really do those things in history? Are they real? Did they really happen? Then you objectively need something that really did happen to forgive you of those sins. You need something real and true, like the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what we need. That that is the only real hope that we have. Jesus offers to allow us to reap what he has sowed. Let's pray, and I'll lead us into the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. When we didn't even know to seek you, you sought us. Oh my goodness, you're gracious. You're so very good, Father. Thank you for maybe allowing us to see that what we have sown is not good. Not according to Jesus' standard. Lord, help us to see what Jesus has sown is the ultimate good. Perfect. Perfect good. And we can reap the reward. All it takes is our faith. May we place our faith in him maybe today for the first time or afresh right now in our lives. Help us to trust you, God. In Christ's name, amen.